If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part. Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Buddy, how you doing tonight? Wednesday. Let's do it. It's hump day. Coming off the bye week. Feeling refreshed. Not as much stress on the body over the last we weekend. <laughs> Not as much stress as having to go through a three and a half hour stomach ache as Justin Fuente has said consistently this year about our team. Um, I got to go through a hour and a half stomach ache on Sunday uh, watching the 49ers play the Seahawks when we hold them, hold them, hold them, drive, 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 get three freaking points. Yeah, y'all uh y'all y'all definitely figured out a, a new way to do it there. We uh finally got one in the books. The Colts uh put one on the the good side of the board there. Um, hopefully we get a little bit more healthy as we go into the middle part of the season here. Cause I mean, we've been banged up all over the place, yes, uh, but T.Y. Like is probably back. In, yeah. It, you know, like, <laughs> when Nelson missed his first start, I mean, you, you got that, you got, um, T.Y. has been on IR, um, other guys on offense and defense have been banged up. Um, Jonathan Taylor got a little nick this week. He might not be full go um, coming into this week. So true. It's hey. it's been an interesting year. Although it look, they look about the same as my fantasy team. So, well, the Niners didn't start Trey Lance in the second half, and it's like people are like, oh, he doesn't look good. He looks shaky. It's like he had no script. He had no first team preps. He had nothing. He scored fourteen points against Seattle. I feel good about that. Your You'll fantasy team is doing great. You know, I got lucky the first two weeks of fantasy season. I couldn't barely break 100, but I take Ws. And then the last two weeks, I'm starting to put the points together. People are getting healthy. I'm finding the right mix of the lineup. Yeah, Your boy's undefeated. There you go. I, I, I'm I'm sitting in the uh, the bottom third right now. I'm, I'm kind of hanging in there uh, by a thread right now. I just got to get my running backs healthy. <laughs> You know the weird piece? We're in the same league. Everybody, you and several other people who were in the semis last year are just at the bottom. It's And it's got nothing to do with draft position. Like No, 
because it's just been bad luck. Bad luck. <laughs> well, you told me the other day, Brian texted me, you were like, dude, I now know exactly what you went through in 2020 concerning injuries. And I'm like, I even got the Joe Mixon thing going on. Like I've got, I've got some parallels. <laughs> well, guys, I just tonight, get one running back healthy and then Joe Mixon might miss this week. So one in, one out. <laughs> that is the life of fantasy football. Well, obviously, folks, this week we are going to be talking about the Notre Dame game here in a few minutes. But before we get into that, we've got some general things we want to hit on, a couple Hokies notes. But, Brian, let's talk about this for Hokies basketball. What a pickup. I mean, an absolute pickup. Getting Rodney Rice, the combo guard out of DeMatha, not a shock there. Uh, top 50 player, top 10 combo guard, one of the best players in the state of Maryland. I mean, yep. We don't follow basketball as close. A, it's tough. If you are a, a avid follower of basketball, feel free to DM us. You might could have a show with the Boundary Corner Podcast basketball <laughs> version. Um, but, you know, the team already looks good. Mike Young, great pickup. Um, yep. The coach out of DeMatha clearly get this kid now. I mean, you you mentioned to me you you were you were just reading an article what is it? It's two more guys we could pick up and it could be best class ever. And that would probably be a top 15 class. It, it'd definitely be one of the better classes that they've had. Um, Clowney's the the big, the big other target that we're trying to pull in there. Um, but I mean, this is, this is Mike Jones hire already paying dividends. Um, and you love to see it out the gate, uh, getting a major, major pickup like Rodney Rice. Um, guy that's probably, probably going to give you a lot of good quality minutes out the gate, but isn't necessarily um, quite at that one and done level. So you're probably going to get him for three years in the program, which is going to be big as well. Um, yep. So I think that's good for, for the long term and the short term. Um, so that's going to be a big pickup for us. Um, looking forward to seeing him in the maroon and orange next year. Absolutely. And, and as much as you can say with Mike Jones being at the Matha, um, you look at Mike Jones' resume and how many, like, 16 and under teams and stuff like that he's coached. I think that's just him coming in and making the immediate impact. Because um, this kid, you know, you could probably list the schools he went to. He probably could have his choice of probably any 15 or 20 schools of where he was. So, again, Mike Mike Young, Mike Jones tearing it up. Um, let me tell you who's not tearing it up, Brian. This was like the story of the weekend and just hilarious. Urban Meyer. Um, I mean, tearing it up in the in the wrong way, I guess, more than oh, <laughs> I'm going to say this right now. If he had any thoughts about going back to collegiate football, that's never going to happen again. And, and honestly, once he gets fired from Jackson, that's probably it. Because I don't think what he did – in that bar and it's not so much the oh he was in a bar drinking it's like the pitch the video that came out yesterday and what he did that's it like you like are you really going to hire a guy and put him around co-eds obviously there's going to be female trainers female students i mean louisville might be oh (laughs) you know they they did rehire petrino but but i mean what a shit show that he is. I yeah. mean, and it's been at every stop. 
it's it's you know it, it's been a lot of questionable things whether it's um you know some of the things that were swept under the rug at florida whether it's uh and how he left that situation some of the things that got pushed to the sw- side and swept under the rug in ohio state and how he left again like this guy doesn't do himself any favors um yep. when it comes to the public relations of the universities and, and, and programs that he works with. Yeah. Usually it takes about a year or two for it to start to, you know, come to, come to a head here. We got it, you know, four weeks into the season. Um, so. Well, hold, on, hold on, less than that though, because the hiring the, the, the old Iowa, what strength coordinator was immediately like, this guy got fired. Oh for- yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that, that was hurting. Yeah. Hurting their, uh, their PR gonna- right out the gate. And then I'm going to put Tim Tebow as one of my ninety, where it's like, okay, you're you're really not taking this seriously. Tim Tebow's been out of football for six years. Why are you putting him on your team? So it's a complete joke. Again, I think because of this incident, and whether it be USC, Penn State, whoever, if you seriously go approach and say we're going to hire him, like, okay, immediately it's like you're a joke of a program because of that incident in general, along with all the other excess baggage. So I think he's proverbially, I think it's done. I think his TV career is over too. Cause again, doing this type of stuff and getting busted, he's done. And maybe it's a good thing. Yeah. And uh, you know, at least if nothing else, we got the, the solid urban cowboy meme out of this thing because yes. that, that, so that one sent me, man. That one sent me. Uh, so I was like, Oh, Oh, Absolutely great, Chef's Brian. kiss. Chef's kiss. All right. <laughs> All right. So, so, Brian, last Saturday night, you're sitting there, probably like me, watching some of the late game, probably Twittering, and you're thinking about game day. Where they yep. go next? Because this was the week we thought, you know, if if we can somehow get 4-0 and Notre Dame gets to 5-0, chance of game day comes here. We lose West Virginia. They lose Cincinnati last week. And you're sitting there, you're looking, it's like, well, they're going to Iowa. It's going to be two top four teams. Yeah. And instead, we're going to the Red River Shootout. Woohoo. And I sat there, Brian. For the 90th time. For the ni- <laughs> and now, listen, it's a cool venue. It's a cool thing. And it, the times they've been before, you know, you think of some of the times in the mid-2000s and even the later part of the 2000s, they were usually in the top five. It made sense. Well, at least like, one of them was, right? At least well, one of them was. Well, think mid two thousands. Yeah, mid two thousands. It was consistently a top five, top eight matchup. Exactly. Um, and I mean, that, this is probably the the year where both teams collectively are ranked the lowest, right? Both ranked the lowest. Both not both not looking good. Texas is twenty one. Um, Oklahoma's hanging on to a top five team, but if they're a top five team, then you know we're a top fifteen team. That's just the way I feel about that. Yes, they've won every game, but it's been ugly. But, Brian, I did more digging. And um, do, do, do you realize how much the uh, the new ESPN SEC contract is per team? Uh, I would say it's very healthy. It's I, almost I, I don't 70, know the figures, but I, I think it's very well, healthy. It's almost $70 million. Okay. You know what it was just a few years ago? What you got? 55 million. So you're telling me that they are getting, what is that, about a 26% increase 
You smell it? Yeah. I, I ha- I'm going to go ahead and just outright put this out here. I think ESPN was significantly behind the push to get Texas and Oklahoma into the SEC. Because you look I mean, at that contract and you say, how are you going from mid-50s to damn near $70 million? It's one thing they had in mind. We're going to get to great big old fan bases, and they're going to come over here. We're going to get we – we, we can get control of the Longhorn Network. We don't have to compete with Fox with them anymore. It, it makes sense. So yeah. if if – if you're the if you're the Big Twelve, do you not lawyer up and would you? You got to do something. You got to do something. Um, because it's fishy. And and, I, and I'm with you. I'm with you. It's uh, it's definitely you know there were hints that they were already scheming against the Big Twelve, but this is showing outright market favoritism towards the SEC as well. Yes. So we got kind of two two things working in tandem to really kind of fuck the Big 12 here, right? Oh, absolutely. And then you're not going to the Big 10 and again the Big 10 this game is on this game is on Fox at 4 o'clock. It's not an ESPN game. And if anybody who's our age, if you remember what game day used to be, it didn't matter what network the game was on. It didn't. They went to what was going to be one of the biggest games. And now sometimes if they got to midseason, they sort of fluctuate. They'd be like, okay, we're going to go to an ACC game this week. And the next week we're going to go to a Big 12 game. And the next week we're going to, you know, we're going to go a little off kilter and do an FCS game. Yeah. You know, and they can people can say, well, well, as you get into late October and early November, some of those matchups you usually have one in every conference that you could really make a good case for. Um, you know, once you get towards Halloween and then pretty much the entire month of November, um, so it, it does get harder then. But we're still we're talking about the first week in October here. Uh, we're talking about a clear cut case. Of the better game is not the better game. It's not. It's not even negotiable um, in terms of where they're ranked, their resume, all the things that you want to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. There's, you know, and, and even the name. I mean, Penn, Penn State is a, is still a big name in terms of how the fan base uh, travels, how they show up, um, all that stuff. So there's still some marquee uh, names there. Iowa has become a really good. Um, kind of secondary, yep. Uh, you know, smaller game day atmosphere, uh, in the in the last uh, you know, half decade or so, even or, or a little bit even before that. So yeah, that that would have been a good choice. Um, but you know, we get to see Texas and Oklahoma again. Um, you know, we'll get to talk about all the all the fun things that comes along with that. But it just seemed like a missed opportunity. A massive missed opportunity, um, but you know it is what it is. Well, the, right, I mean, Brian. ESPN has really kind of started to um, cater more towards certain sectors, anyway, and it's it's really sad where where ESPN has gone with anything that isn't their live sports presentations. And even then, I mean, you can tell who's getting the the second tier uh, equipment and all that shit. Now it's really not, well, you could. Well, not you know not as good as what we're talking about. What's well, that? Big last year was 
the ACC Network's videos compared to this year. Because last year, some of that stuff was grainy. It was very, very yuck. Now, this year, it looks like they are getting the better video. So maybe it was just COVID, but it's still just very fishy. All right, folks, I want to announce something. If for the next month, you see me and Brian Ted, Brian, look at your TV, ready, set, go. You do, we do this, which we will be doing a lot of playoff baseball <laughs> here, Brian. Um, currently, yes, St. Louis, LA 1 1. Brian's beloved Bravos are in. They'll be starting what, Friday night or Friday yeah, afternoon? Against the Brew Crew. Against the Brew Crew. That's going to be a heck of a matchup. Um, myself, my cubbies are not there. Um, we sold the farm. Thanks. <laughs> but, you know, you, you sold did. it early and, and, uh, but you know, got some good. return, but you know, got some Red Sox are there. Uh, atmosphere in Fenway last night was electric. Um, and then that also Bogart. stop bitching about the green monster Yankee fans. It's been there for a <laughs> It's been, I, well, you know what I kind of laugh is people were like, well, that ball would have been out in any other stadium. It would have been close. It wasn't a guarantee because he was in he was in a power alley. He yeah. wasn't pulled down the line. That ball went power alley and it was coming down. That's why it didn't go out. So it it would have been out in maybe a third of the parks. It would have been close in another third. And, and then there's probably about about a third that it would have been um in place. Track. So yeah. So complete quick complaining about that. Um we both have the same Rudy interest tonight. I don't care if LA has a hundred plus wins and they're paying everybody two hundred million dollars. We hate the Cardinals. Can't if you're a Cardinals, Cardinals fan, out of there. <laughs> yeah. If you're a Cardinals fan, we're sorry. It's just Cubs fan and what happened a few years ago with the Braves and the infield fly rule. Yeah, and, and that was before I mean it, historically the Cardinals have been a team that has eliminated the Braves in the playoffs. So the, the incident with the infield fly was just sawed open wound to already a history that I really didn't like with that team. So um, Cardinals fans, nothing personal. <laughs> just tired, just tired of losing to the Cardinals in the playoffs. I don't want to see them. Exactly. All right, Brian. Um, I, I threw this to you a little earlier today. I, I think I'm decided. I, yeah. I, I think that. October is the number one, the GOAT sports month. Are you I'm there you. or is something competing with you? I'm absolutely there. I've always been there. Um, it's just so, so much happening. You got, you know, NBA and hockey gearing up. You got uh, baseball coming to a close, college basketball gearing up. You're in the meat of the schedule for college football. You got NFL. Um, you got kind of the, the, the downswing of the golf season. I mean, you got a little bit of everything. And it's, it's literally going to starting last night and going forward. I don't think there will not be a live sporting event of some type on from now until November, like legitimately. I think if you look at the schedule between collegiate football, pro football, baseball, um, and then obviously, get your preseason NBA games and preseason hockey games, and they'll be starting near the end of the month. It's like one of those 
if you if you're out there and you're married, if you haven't watched many sports over the last couple months, go for it. Just we're watching baseball tonight. <laughs> what about tomorrow night? Football. Then what? Baseball. Then what? Everything. Football. Everything. Then, football. <laughs> then then you know, Virginia Tech's playing a preseason game and it's on the ACC. But just awesome month. The weather's cooling down. You go outside. You know, went to a neighbor's house last Saturday night. Um, had a little whiskey neat. Uh, had the fire pit going. We were watching the Clemson game for a little while. So it's just that time of year, man. It's perfect. It's lovely. It's cooling down. Um, you get to like pair it with some other like good fun family activities. So you kind of are off the hook for sitting in front of a TV the rest of the day. Exactly. Let's get this into the morning, ladies and gentlemen. So we, so I can go and sit in front of the television from yeah. noon to seven, eight o'clock, depending on how many games you want to watch and going go into the night. Exactly. And depending on the good games, that good game starts at nine, like go ahead and book me for a good 12, to 13 hours on my butt. And I'm sure with you, Brian, too, a lot easier to smoke in the fall. You're not out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's going to be better once we move in January, but, uh, right now, um, it's, it's nice because where I usually am smoking in the backyard gets like direct sunlight in the afternoon. So it gets hot even under the shade there. Um, so it'll be nice in the, uh, in the new house with better, better shade. Uh, but yeah, it, once it cools down in, in October, it gets nicer. Um, we're, we're, we're getting into chilly season here. Um, so yes, we are. Officially, uh, I think last weekend you could – no, not last weekend. Two weekends ago you would be okay. Last weekend was too warm. This weekend, what are we looking – what's weather looking like? We're going to give you official chili score here. It is going to be 72 with some chances of rain on Saturday. Okay. I give that an A-. A few degrees cooler would be an A, but A-. Usually under 7 is perfect, but under 70 is perfect. You can get away with under 75 if it's raining. Yeah, and that's that's what it's called for <laughs> here in the RVA, and it's looking like that up in Blacksburg too, Brian. So let's turn over a couple Hokies notes um, from the Fuente press conference. There was no update on Silas Danzi, um, and basically he said they're going to find out as they go through the week. What do you take from that? Sounds like it's day-to-day and sounds like they are preparing this week as if they don't have him and will – adjust accordingly if he is available you don't think it's gamesmanship where it it very well could be it very well could be but um it's hard to tell with fuente though right because everything is played so close to the chest you can't tell when when he is being a little uh little hesitant with the truth there Um, exactly so hard to tell well let's hope he's there because he is one of our best five offensive linemen. I think yep. that's our collective opinion. Um, wherever, even if he's playing tackle or guard, he helps the team significantly. All right, Brian, let's talk about the next thing. They were talking about the young players, and he talked about primarily the two Jalen's out of Virginia, Jalen Stroman and Jalen Jones out of here, out here in the 804. 
talk about they had been close to playing, but they've been held back for various reasons. I'm a, uh, we know about Jones' injury. We hadn't heard about Stroman. We saw Stroman the first game, had not seen him since. Um, you know, wide receiver-wise, it's like I'm not worried because the way it looks, we're not rotating guys. You know, although Justin Fuente has said we need six to eight guys rotating, we've never rotated any more than like four. Um, and, and when we do see it, the the second team doesn't really get a whole lot of run when they're in there. They're mostly there to uh, block and make way for, you know, throws to the running backs and tight ends. Or, um, or jet sweep. They'll get the jet, jet sweep. They'll get the jet motion. Um, yeah. With Stroman, though, it, it, it sort of – Stroman, you feel like because of what happened with Taylor – you feel like Sturman was pushing too deep, and then you saw him on quite a number of special teams played against North Carolina, and then he's been out. The, the kid has a head for football. I think if nothing else, even as good as the special teams has been, getting him back and just getting him some reps in some way is going to just quickly develop him um, and yeah. obviously help the safety position depth-wise long-term. Yeah, and I think, you know, in terms of front end, I think we're okay there. Uh, we don't need him to be there, but having him there would definitely give us a little bit more cushion and obviously probably, you know, push forward his development as well, which I think is important for the long term. Absolutely. All right, Brian, the next comments. Oh, buddy. So Justin Fuente decided to say they must tailor make this offense to have success. And then he mentions about getting the running game going, and he has to find ways to get playmakers involved. I'm going to go on this one first. Yep. You had Middle Tennessee State, and you had Richmond to do that. And against against Middle Tennessee State, as Brian stated, you went so vanilla. And then against Richmond, more vanilla. So to me, no, you don't. You don't, because if you wanted to try to get people involved and try to tailor-make an offense, your two lesser opponents who would have less chance to win a game, even if you made some mistakes, you chose not to. Yeah, uh, it's it's a, it's a really weird statement, and, and this has been something historically that we've seen with this team, right? Um, yeah. We kind of saw new wrinkles and changes being made you know, after Duke before Miami in 2019, you know, we, we've seen this staff typically make these wholesale changes of how we're approaching the offense going into games that are big, not those tune-ups. It's, it's some, something no. that matters either in the, in terms of the coastal or something that matters in terms of the program perception mm-hmm. and not just, you know, take, taking games like, as you said, Richmond and Middle Tennessee State to really kind of smooth out the edges. Um, we, we haven't taken advantage of that, and then we've had to hope that we're doing it on the fly against uh, better competition, which is strange because playing off of that, we've played down to lesser competition and played up to uh, the competition in games that we thought, you know, we there we were at least a, a 50% chance of losing, if not more. Um, so it's really interesting how they approach this because of, of that history as well. It's very true, man. Um, and again, you, you hate trying to make any wholesale changes going into 
this game especially, and then going to the back out of season when you had those games. And, again, when I hear Taylor making an offense, I, I will not believe it until I see it. I yeah. will not believe until I see it because you're now selling me the empty bill of goods. Oh, we're going to Taylor make it. Oh, best passing game ever. Dude, I just – I don't believe you anymore. Like, yeah. until you show me on the field – um. I, I and, really, and whether and whether some of those comments are are trying to gas up players that you think are listening to what you're saying during these pressers versus actually talking to the media, like at some at some point, you know you, you're losing the the fans' goodwill as as you're gassing up these players that that you think you're helping uh, because, by doing so because we're not seeing anything. Yeah, we're, we're not seeing. There's not either a visible change of something different happening on the offense, a something verbalized to us saying, well, fans vice is going to call the plays. So it's nothing visual. It's nothing verbal. It's just, Oh, we're, you know, Oh, uh, we're going to take this go away. Um, define that. Yeah. Define it. <laughs> what are you tailor making? What are you doing? Are you actually going to throw the ball? Are you actually going to do things different? Because, you know, I can't take your word. I can't take your word anymore. Yeah. I'm going to stick it at that. All right. Something that somebody brought up. I wish I could remember the porter who asked a question about playing in the big games. Because we have played in two very big games this year. UNC, you know, primetime, 6 o'clock, packed stadium. It was one of the three best games of that weekend. opening weekend. And the West Virginia game of that weekend, you know, 12 o'clock game. You know, FS1, a lot of publicity about it, hostile atmosphere. Yeah. So, you know, the point was made that, yes, this is actually good for the team going into this game because, again, it's a sellout. You're going to have the stadium absolutely jam-packed. It's going to be loud. Um, You know, wish it was on ABC. Kali, it would be on ABC um, if if they hadn't forced this to the ACC network. because they're showing they're doing Nebraska, Michigan. And, you know, I, when you only can get Notre Dame a couple times a year, I think they would have thrown them on ABC because they know it's going to do a number. Um, yep. By the way, how are you watching the game since it's not on, since, you know, it's on ACC Network? I am signing into my father, my father in law's uh, Verizon Fios account to watch I on you had ESPN. Plus. Nah. You don't have plus? No. No. Hulu, Hulu Live. Hulu Live has it all. There you go. I've got um, ESPN Plus, but they, you don't get the ACC Network proper. You just get AS, ACC Network Extra. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, For the, what is it, 23 million people that with Comcast, which I think 17 or 18 of them are on the East Coast, Um, call your cable subscriber and tell them to just get the ACC Network. Or do with everybody else. There's been so many people. Why is cable losing customers? Things like this. So, super interesting. Big time. All right. Well, Brian, before we jump into knowing the enemy, knowing the Irish, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. 
No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right, Brian, let's start it off here. Know the enemy. We're going to jump on the offensive side of the ball. Let's and let's start, with, let's start with the offensive line because there has been some struggles there for them. And, Brian, here's some of the data I've got for you. They are, out of 130 teams, they are 128th in sacks allowed. They're averaging over four and a half per game, and they're losing close to 25 yards a game, which that is a big number regardless of the number of sacks. Tackles for loss allowed. Um, they're 129 out of 130. Um, Ouch. Yeah. Just about nine and a half per game allowed and right at 36 yards. So this team's losing behind the line of scrimmage close to 60 yards a game. I mean, that's insane. What is the tape telling you, Brian? Uh, the tape is telling me that the interior of that offensive line is giving up a ton of penetration, and the tackles are only average at best in pass pro. So they're getting their mostly immobile quarterback sacked a lot, and <laughs> they are making their running backs have to run the hump and get outside in the alley because the only where, place they're gaining positive yardage is when they are able to get to the outside alley. They are not getting hardly anything up the gut. Um, yeah, I mean, across the board, I mean, big time tackles for loss and, um, they're not allowing their backs to really get to the second level in the middle of the, of the offense. Um, and and that's a big problem because that means that their, their backs are having to run laterally way more than they should, um, in the running game. Yeah. And it, and it makes sense, right? I mean, they lost three NFL linemen. You know, Liam Eikenberg went in the second round. Aaron Banks went in the second round, the guard. And Robert Hainsey went in the fourth round. Most teams, even the really, really teams that recruit at the level they recruit at, when you lose that kind of experience and talent and guys who are getting evaluated and getting drafted that high, you you don't replace it. Um, I think it's interesting, Brian, you talk about their rushing numbers. Like, uh, how, like how bad is that? I mean, are they even cracking 100 a game? Uh, no, they're averaging, uh, what did I see, 2.7 yards per carry. Oh, they're making yeah, us it, look good. It, it, it's atrocious. Um, and, and a lot of that is that negative yardage that you're talking about. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're not getting thrown for a one-yard loss and then they're throwing a, you know, 12-yard gain on top of that. They're getting thrown for a, a five- or six-yard loss and then throwing a seven-yard gain on it. So the net is pretty bad um, and it's, it's trickling down. And, you know, when you don't have a quarterback that can move around a lot, um, that's not opening up any other lanes for those rushers to, to really get to that second level where they're really dangerous when they can get to the second level. They're just having such a hard time doing it right now. I hear you. And you already mentioned the quarterback a couple of times. They're in a true debacle right now, Brian. Um, you've got the 6'3", 226, three-star Jack Cone, the Wisconsin transfer. He's got solid numbers through five games, 1,100 yards, nine touchdowns, three interceptions, 60% completion. Um, his best game was clearly out of the gate against FSU in that shootout. Um, you mentioned him being immobile. 
obviously, if he was so immobile that he's getting killed, why is he still the quarterback? What is he bringing to the table? Uh, so, I mean, so the big thing he's bringing to the table is um, he can make all the throws. He's got the arm. Um, and he is definitely the more polished, the more seasoned, uh, the more experienced player um, of the, the the big two. Well, you know, we'll talk about Pine here in a few minutes. Yeah. Um, and he's and he's the known quantity. He's he's the safer choice, and I feel like that's kind of where they are, especially with their struggles on the offensive line. Uh, they kind of went with the safer choice, thinking that would kind of buoy them a little bit, despite his shortcomings uh, with his athleticism. Yeah. And it makes sense too, because a couple of years ago at Wisconsin, um, before he got overtaken, he had a solid season, had like 23 touchdowns to like nine interceptions, 62% completion percentage. It was like, okay, this makes sense. And then, you know, last week, Drew Prime, the 5'11, 200 pound four star, he gets some significant playing time. And it was on top of a game after the Wisconsin game where he got some time there too. You know, so far, only completing 50% of his passes, only for 224 yards and a couple touchdowns. But clearly, it, watching that Cincinnati game, when he came in, he was a spark. He yep. was a spark. He got them back in that game. Um, what do you see on the tape from him? Um, I mean, he's not the elite athlete, but he's a significant upgrade in athleticism from Cone. More Ian Book. Uh, more Ian yeah. Book. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, he's not going to be a, that guy that's going out there and completely tearing you up, but he, he's, you know, he'll get first downs, he'll scramble. You can, you can design runs to him, uh, and feel comfortable doing that. And in the passing game, he does throw a pretty decent deep ball. Uh, he's not super accurate in the intermediate and that's where a lot of his incompletions are coming in. Okay. But when he sees guys coming open in the, in the back of the, uh, defense. He does a good job of getting the ball out there to them. And um, he still does a pretty good job of kind of that, that short passing game um, to the running backs where they can get those athletes out in space. All right. Let me ask this, Brian, when you, when you were looking at the tape with him, was he much quicker soon? Cause obviously we're showing here and the tape showing the data, the stats are showing, is he quicker to just as soon as the, line breaks down is he immediately moving getting out the pocket trying to do something or is he staying in there a little longer uh he when he is comfortable with the play he will stay in there longer um when even if there is pressure bearing down when he isn't as comfortable with the play as soon as that first read isn't there, he's willing to take off if he feels any sort of pressure. So it's really kind of a mixed bag. Um, A lot of times when it's a a throw that he's comfortable with, he'll hang in there to try to make it. Um, But I mean, based on the depth chart that, that Notre Dame put out there, it looks like Cone is still the number one guy. We'll see how, how, how long that lasts, how quick the hook is and what, or whether they, end up mixing in pine with cone throughout the game. Like we've seen a couple uh, other teams do against us so far. All right. Let, let me ask this, Brian, just straight up. What's your preference for Saturday night? Who takes, who do you want to take in 85 or 90% of the snaps? I want cone. I want, you know, because he's the known quantity. He's the guy that uh, we've got the most tape on. And he's also the guy that if we can hold their running game in check, we can make a very one dimensional um, offense. 
All right. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. And and also just from hearing from the different beat reporters throughout the week um, up in South Bend, it looks like they're going to go the Jack Cone route. How quick is the hook? I think that's going to be very interesting to see. Um, although with Jay Ham, I think you would make a quick adjustment. I don't think we'd have to wait for two and a half or three quarters. Um, <laughs> but the other piece, too, is, you know, it goes back to the offensive line, but also Pine. If you decide to throw five offensive linemen who have never been in an atmosphere like it's going to be Saturday night, and then you throw a quarterback in an atmosphere like it's going to be Saturday night, at least you can say with Cone, well, you know, he he played some Big Ten teams. He played in tough environments. He's got that going for him. So do you want five guys or three guys who have played in tough environments, or do you want six guys? Who've never played in a tough environment. Um, yeah, yeah. And Cone, Cone, Cone definitely has um, played in games that matter in atmospheres like that before. Um, more than likely, something that was that would be akin to Beaver Stadium, I would imagine. Um, big House. Um, I, I can't remember how many games he played in. Um, whether whether he saw both of those stadiums, but he's definitely having having that Big Ten resume. He's definitely you know played in at least one. Um, stadium that would have something in the ballpark or what lane will offer. So he's probably the better, um, better choice in terms of being able to handle that type of environment. Uh, the horseshoe and, and then the sea of red down in Nebraska. Okay. His, um, two big ones. So, and he also played in a Rose bowl atmosphere. So, um, yeah. All right, Brian, let's roll on to this. You've mentioned those running backs a couple of times. They're not looking the, the, the best so far this year, but man, we know that they are dangerous. And I want to start with um of the one two punch. Let's start with uh Kyron Williams, five nine, hundred and ninety-nine pound, four star so far this year, two point eight nine, two hundred and eighty-nine yards, three point eight per carry and three touchdowns, also hundred and seventy-four receiving yards, twelve point four per reception with two touchdowns. And I tell you last year, man, 1,400 yards from scrimmage, hell of a year. Um, what is he bringing to the table of this one-two punch with him and Chris Tyree? Yeah, he's he's the more shifty uh, running back and probably a hair better in the passing game um, than Tyree. Um, great use of patience when running the outside zone, kind of lets things set up and then um, kind of gets in the alley and can make guys miss at the second level and does a really good job of catching the ball out of the outfield and kind of hitting home runs that way. Um, good vision in the open field to, uh, you know, turn a small gain into a big one for that offense. Nice. And obviously the second guy of this one, two punches, a guy, if you are a Hokie fan, if you're a Hokie fan, you should be familiar with him. If you're here in the RBA with us, you should be super familiar with him. Chris Tyree out of Thomas Dale in the RBA here. Four-star, he was the top all-purpose back when he came out. He was a top 75 player. He was a top five player in Virginia, one of those we missed on. Yep. Five, nine and a half, 190 pounds. Um, a triple threat to me. Um, hadn't got that many carries this year. 98 yards with a touchdown. 117 yards in the passing game with a touchdown. And then 238 in a kick return game with a touchdown. 
He's averaging almost 30 per kick return. So we see another elite kick returner, which is becoming just very, very, very worrisome, um, as good as it's played. And, and you know, last year, 1,000 all-purpose yards, four touchdowns, um, and he's fast, like super fast. Yes. Yeah, he, he's definitely fast. He's more of the one cut back and go. Um, he's got speed for days once he gets to the second level. Um, can really affect the game in the return game. I know he did um, you know, fumble a, a kickoff return against Cincinnati that set them up for a field goal uh, to make it a 10 nothing game there. But you know, when he, when he gets them in there, he's, he's doing a lot of good things with the football, um, setting them up in pretty good field position. Um, in the kick return game. And he is also very dangerous in the passing game. Um, much like Williams does a good job in the open field. He has that vision, which you, you expect from a guy that is also a kick returner, right? Uh, getting the ball in the open field and being able to read those blocks in space. Um, so in terms of home run threat, he's a little bit more of the home run threat, but isn't as much of a impact for you down by down um, just because it, it is a little bit of more, a little bit more feast or famine with him uh, because of his run style. Absolutely. And again, it's just one of those guys that it's, it's a pain to see. And especially it's more of a pain to see when you, when he says, I can't wait to smell Virginia air and play in that stadium. That always is a little, just, you just ripped it out. Just ripped out the heart, Chris. Don't, don't say things like that. Yeah, I mean, you, you love you that he's saying it. You'd love that if, if he was saying it, you know, as a hokey and not visiting exactly. from another team. So, I mean, when we first started this podcast, we they had just uh, kind of closed on that class, um, and we talked we talked about how that was a big miss for us, and you know, we're seeing that kind of you know come to fruition here. Um, you know, with him having some success, you know, good success as a freshman. And um, even with a completely shoddy offensive line, still being able to make some plays here and there in this offense this year. Yeah. So, so that's, the, to me, that's the big thing is we've kind of correlated that offensive line's bad, but if you give one of these guys or both these guys a crease, they can make you pay. So, you know, yep. we'll, we'll discuss some of those points later. All right, Brian, this guy, Jesus, Lord. Their top receiving threat, Michael Mayer, the tight end, the 2020 five-star, second tight end in the country, top 25 player. He's 6'4", he's 249. I looked at some of his, um, when he was at the the showcases, runs like a low 4'8". His shuttle drills are pretty much those elite, like what you see NFL tight ends do. And then obviously his size, he's Built like a prototypical tight end. He's like 19. Yep. You know, so far this year, 360 yards, three touchdowns, 11.3 per catch. Again, leading to both in yards and receptions. Um, he he could be a big problem, even if we are able to create pressure, isn't he? Yeah, and he and he's the guy that's moving the sticks for them. Um, you know, they try to do the short passing game with the running backs, and then hit Mike Mayer. Um, on some stick moving routes. And I think the the big thing that uh, he brings to the table is, like you said, a good combination of above average speed for a tight end at the collegiate level um, paired with the typical NFL size. 
Um, and, and that's going to be something that we've got to keep in check because we, we want to be able to get this team off the field. And he's the guy that extends drives for them. Um, and the receivers, they are, they're solid, but they, they are more, they'll, they'll, you know, you'll, they'll hit them on like a 20 or 30 yard play and then they disappear for a quarter. Um, this is the guy that you've got to worry about down by down series by series every time they're on the field. Essentially, whether it probably be Cone or Pine, they're going to be looking for him. It's probably their first read every time is going to be wherever he's going. He He's either the primary threat or he is the 100% secondary route, no matter what the primary is. Right. <laughs> Let me ask this, just looking at the tape. Is he primary in line or are we going to see him at – uh, several positions. He's going to line up all over the offense. They'll split him out. Okay. They'll put him in the wing. They'll they'll put him in line. Um, you know, they'll even move him into the backfield on occasion. So he'll line up all over the field. They try to find creative ways to get him open where you can't just, uh, you know, jam him off the line of scrimmage to get him off his route. So um, <laughs> that's going to be something we need to definitely focus on and make sure that we don't die a death by a thousand cuts and that they keep their offense on the field for, for long extended drives and win that time of possession. Yep. Something we can't do. And I just hate you using the word creative um, with somebody else's offense and not ours, but I digress. All right, we're going to roll on guys. And now we're going to look at the defense and, you know, let's just be straight up. If you're a Virginia Tech Hokie fan and you don't know who Marcus Freeman is, you probably haven't been paying attention. Um, he is a super up-and-comer in the world of the collegiate football coaching ranks. He's a former Buckeye. Um, he only played one year in the NFL back in 2009 for a couple teams because uh, essentially in the offseason in 2010, they discovered he had an enlarged heart. He had to retire. And not long after that um, – he started in the coaching ranks, started as a grad assistant back at Ohio State, um, then been coaching linebackers, Kent State, worked his way up, got to Purdue, got to be a co-defensive coordinator. And then obviously over the last few years with another Buckeye, Luke Fickle, down at Cincinnati, where last year they were one of the, you know, one of the best teams all around the country. In the defense he created, Brian, they were eighth in points per game. They were 15th in yards. They were 11th in voice Force turnovers, they were elite. Um, yep. Lost a close game to Georgia, and then he essentially got snatched away by Notre Dame and Brian Kelly. And Brian Kelly said that he hopes that he's the next coach there. I hope he's not. What are you seeing from him schematically, though, Brian? We've got the story behind who he is. What is he doing on the field? Yeah, so um, when he was at Cincinnati, they ran a slightly different system than what they're doing now. Um, you know, some of that is just preference by by Kelly. Some of that is personnel that you know you don't quite have to to make a, a wholesale transition. Um, but they're still running kind of a four-two-five, but they are going more of that multiple front look that um, Freeman was famous for at Cincinnati. Um, with occasionally getting that uh, that dollar that three two six um, look up front, but the base defense is still a four two five. Um, they run a lot a lot of uh, cover one and cover three uh, on the back end. There, um, very very much likes to. What's that? 
You said it reminded you. Yeah, reminds at least on the back end reminds me some of, of Bud in terms of how they like to uh, work their coverages and then mix that with the blitz packages. All right. What, and what in terms of a- just philosophy, you know, since I just said, you know, Bud, it's it's an aggressive philosophy, and their goal is to, you know, really clog the A and B gaps on both sides of the offense and kind of force everything into C gap in the running game and. Um, yeah, in terms of the passing game, they're coming after you and trying to make you make mistakes and and get some turnovers there. So uh, they do a good job on the back end of of keeping um, things in front of them. Um, their their corners aren't elite, uh, but they do a good job of of, of not let, getting beat deep very often. Now, when you talk about A and B gaps, going to see this is what Bud used to talk about spill lanes, right? You want it to spill outside to where yeah. he's allowing the fast guys to get there versus just punishing you up the middle. Yep, exactly. Yep. You're funneling everything to the spill lanes. Um, that's where you've got your, um, usually you have your, in the older system, the whip, the rover can make the play there. Your, your, uh, um, your backer is there as well. So that that's generally the idea of, of trying to force everything to those spill lanes. Absolutely. All right, so let's talk about some of these guys, Brian, because, you know, somebody, you know, the Virginia guy, they had to replace Jeremiah Usukamora. You know, they had to replace him, and that guy was all over the place in the old system. And I think because of how um, they're running this new system there, they found that guy who was already a proven starter in Kyle Hamilton, you know, 6'4", 220, you know, safety, 2020. Five star. He was the top safety in the country, top 15 overall. And yep. so far this year, 27 tackles, two tackles for loss, three interceptions. I'm assuming he's everywhere. Yeah, he's everywhere. I mean, he's technically he's listed as a free safety, but they use him in just about every way that you can use a defensive back. Um, he's at free he's at their uh strong safety sometimes he's in the nickel he plays their equivalent of the whip which they actually call rover um he kind of does it all um on the back end there and really solid tackler but really great in coverage uh both zone and man um uses his length really well um and and does a good job when he gets his hands on uh receivers and ball carriers getting them to the ground as well so keep an eye on him um yeah he uh he had some of the sound bites i think this week with uh what the referee was saying on a uh what looked like a blatant hold against him on uh, i think a quarterback scramble last week uh ref said something about you know you're an all-american you can't get blocked or something like that or you can't get held um, so Ooh. he, he was in the, he was in the headlines this week, uh, you know, making a comment on that. So keep an eye out and see what, uh, what he does this week, but he's definitely one that we've got to account for, um, every snap because he's gonna, he's gonna make some plays. All right. Let me, let me just look forward a little bit, Brian. Um, because obviously he'll have one more year of eligibility after this. He's going to be his size, his length, whatever. He's going to be a first round safety, isn't he? Which is very few and far between. Yeah, he's he's if he's not, he's definitely a early day two guy. Um, 
he's going to be one of the first two two safeties off the board, um, more than likely. So, all right, uh, definitely keep an eye out for him because he is he is a, he's a playmaker. All right. Well, let's now something you talked about earlier, Brian. You talked about how um, Marcus Freeman loves to clog those A and B gaps, and kind of looking through here, he's got J.D. Bertrand. First year starter at linebacker as a four star, 6'1, 230. Made a big impact right out of the gate as a starter. 48 tackles, one and a half sacks so far this year. Um, wh- where is he specifically? Is he Mike? Is he Will? Is he weak side? Where is he linebacker wise, Brian? Yeah, so he he's Will. He does a lot in the uh, in, in disrupting both the run game and then uh, has a good amount of coverage responsibility in the pass game. Um, but he does a good job of disrupting the the running game. He's the reason why they're really stout against the run. Um, and he's a good tackler and surprisingly really, really good in, in coverage. Um, I've seen him run with, um, you know, really good, uh, really fast running backs in coverage, really good uh, running with some of the slot receivers as well. Um, doesn't really look, um, out of place there. It doesn't look like he's, he's losing any athleticism to those guys. So, uh, definitely looks the part there. Um, he does sometimes lose leverage in the running game. Um, so that's something if we can get kind of outside, we might be able to exploit that a little bit. He, he gave up a couple runs, um, where he had kind of edge responsibility and lost that leverage. So, um, that might be a way we could take advantage of him a little bit, but in terms of you know his style of play, he's definitely a disruptor and a, and a solid overall tackler. Excellent, Brian. Um, what are the core? What do the core of the linebackers look? I mean, is it is is everybody like him? Are they like Hamilton? You feel like there's there's no weaknesses in his game. Bertrand, you've talked about that outside run leverage. Is the linebacking core more like that? They're good, but they have their spots where they can be beat. Yeah, um, very much that. Um, there are times where you can you can take advantage of them, but they're very good between the tackles. Um, yeah. it, I hope that we can run between the tackles against them, but that, that's what they do. They do a really good job of kind of pushing everything outside. Um, and is your hope we is your hope we don't start? by running between the tackles early. Yeah, I hope we kind of spread them out a little bit and get them out of that that 425 looking maybe into the more 326 and then we can kind of hit them in the middle. Got it. All right. Well, Brian, even if we get them out of that look and we have to drop back to pass in the um Isaiah Foskey is a scary scary looking defensive end. Um, 6'5", 260, a four-star. He was a top 15 defensive end when he came out. I mean, he's prototypical. That build is a prototypical defensive end build. Um, You know, really started producing this year. 21 tackles, five tackles for loss, five sacks, and a forced fumble. And you educate the people because they're going to hear this on Saturday night. They call what he plays Viper, which is cool. But what does it mean? <laughs> yeah, aside from sounding cool, uh, you know, aside from sounding like you're in Top Gun, uh, Viper is <laughs> essentially a hybrid defensive end in this system. So if they're in a four-man front look, he's going to be the uh, one of the rush ends. Um, he will play Sam linebacker. 
in uh, some of the other th- uh, three-man uh, front looks, and uh, especially like the three, the three-two or the three-three. Um, and if they go with the uh, like a, a three-four look, he will um, line up as a you know traditional edge rusher there. So he kind of ha- has three hats that he wears in this defense. Um, and with that build, I mean, he he really does a good job of do, of doing all of those. He's just athletic enough. Um, to kind of make make all that work and he he does he is you know i'd say pretty heavy for a like a true rush end or edge defender um but that size helps him when he slides into the linebacker role and and is kind of running downhill so uh you got to watch him especially uh i saw him had he had a sack fumble uh, against cincinnati um he's made some other plays and some other games so he, he can definitely impact the the game um, and he impacts the game even when he's not necessarily at the football. So uh, we got to make sure we got to get, get a hat on him every time. All right, I got a quick question about um, when he's on that when when they're in the four two five, and you said he's down at the end position. Is he playing like a nine technique, or is he a little closer um, to the uh, offensive tackle there? So sometimes he is in a a six hand in the dirt. Sometimes he's in a nine hand in the dirt. Sometimes he's standing up um, okay. and kind of, kind of moving around between techniques. Um, so it, it really kind of depends. They, they do it. They, they let him kind of freestyle a little bit. Uh, and that, that's one of the hallmarks of a Freeman defense is that he trusts the instincts of his players. So a lot of times, you know, you'll see them freestyle a little bit. Um, within the parameters that he's set, right? Um, okay. So that that's something to keep an eye on as well. Got it. Um, two other guys to look out here for Brian. I know we don't have as much info on them. Um, twin brothers, um, couple Ford three stars about of New Jersey. Jason and Justin Edmiola. Um, Jason plays defensive end. I think he's a secondary viper. Um, might play the opposite side as well. And then um, Jason is a defensive tackle. So just two other names to listen for on Saturday night, guys. Um, two brothers there. All right, Brian. So last 30 minutes or so, we've been talking about them. And what we've been doing every week is we've been talking about versions of the Hokies. Alpha was great. Yeah. Beta was okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the last two versions haven't been that good. Um, so, yeah. so this week we're at Epsilon. And if you, I'm a nerd. And the Epsilon definition is an arbitrary small positive quantity. <laughs> is that what Let's, we need to win? <laughs> well, well the, uh, this, the, uh, and a small positive quantity for the defense is going to be really solid like where they are you know statistically and how they've been playing for the offense who i'll take small positive versus small negative right now brian because you know as we've been talking about it we've got you know three keys here and the the first thing that when we were talking the other day and you said to me we've got to win at the point of the tag we've got freaking got to block to run the ball yeah and we got to be able to run the ball. And like I said, I don't think necessarily attacking right into the meat of that defense early is the answer. But we got to find effective ways to 
hopefully get to that spill area, but get have have blocking there where we can get up the alley and uh, and start to get them out of their preferred look there. Um, but I think you know some of the other things is that we're going to need to work in some play action because but we need to get the running game going first for that to be truly effective, right? Yeah, absolutely. If you know if we if we don't get the running game going early, play action is going to mean nothing to them. Um, can, Cincinnati can I, burned them pretty good because they had an effective running game, even if it yeah. wasn't necessarily you know burning the world up. They were effective yeah, in the true. running game, and they were able to hit them over the top a couple times on play action. It's true. The other thing, Brian, you, we were been talking about. You talked about scramble drills getting downfield. Is this a game you'd like to see? We hated what they did with West Virginia, running some sprint outs, essentially where we can get it's in a way it's a little scramble because if he rolls out and there's nothing there and they stay disciplined, he might have BB might have four or five yards every time to just take the angle go. I know you don't like cutting off a field, but in this case. Yeah. And I'd, and I'd like to see when, when BB escapes the pocket kind of escaping laterally, at least initially where he can still try to make that throw down field in the scramble drill, because I feel like, our receivers may not be open initially, but I've I saw on tape where, especially in the Cincinnati game, but also against FSU, where as a play kind of drew on, you know, there were opportunities to get the ball downfield in the passing game. Um, so I think that's that's one way to get it going, and and the short passing game is going to be important as well, because you know I think we can get them kind of moving laterally and get them like open that box up a little bit. That'll enable us to try to run between the tackles a little bit more and hopefully uh, get some movement in there. All right, so probably things like we saw out of the UNC game that we have amazingly not been there as much before the, the little swings and stuff to the running backs, um, the, 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 the bubble screen, not the tunnel, the bubble, yeah, and, and run variations off that, right? So once you once you show nope. them that look, run run some stuff, run some variations off that where they'll, you know, potentially bite on something they've seen, and now something else is open. Yeah, I mean, I think the short pass game is going to be critical because they they are going to they're go, they're going to get some sacks. They're going to get us scrambling off time because they are a good defensive line. They yep. have some solid linebacker play. Um, and the one thing that we've talked about is, and you, you hit it here, we didn't talk about any of the defensive backs because in reality, none of them jumped off the tape and you've already mentioned it. They can be gotten there. Can they be absolutely exploited? Probably not. Definitely not by the way we've been playing offense, Yeah. but you know, we've had, we've had 13 days since our last game, 13 gave to self-evaluate. If we don't start seeing the changes coming and they're not coming and and if you're going to say well we're going to win with what we've got we're not going to win many with what we've got because we don't have a dominant offensive line to get that running game springing for 200 yards a game yeah we, we if we don't improve on offense we've got enough to get us to a bowl game but we don't have enough to challenge for the coastal i mean if you look at the teams that are in a in a as good or better position than us at this point. Um, you got to look first at, at Pitt, right? And the the thing that scares me about Pitt is that I'm not so much concerned that we won't be able to score some points against their defense. 
I'm just worried about if they keep rolling the way they are, that they'll be able to score more points on offense than we can score on offense. Exactly. Uh, and, that, and that's not knocking our defense, but if they can get to 30, that's probably enough. Yep. I agree with that. All right. Well, let's talk about the Epsilon version of the defense, Brian. We, we mentioned Tyree and Williams. I mean, we we have to tackle like we did Carolina, Middle Tennessee, Richmond. We cannot afford. We cannot afford to tackle like we did against West Virginia against those guys. Yeah. Got got to bring these guys down because if they get to that next level, they are dangerous. Um, and, you know, I, I think another thing that we need to talk about is that we need to, much like a lot of teams have already against Notre Dame this year, we need to force snaps behind the line of scrimmage. We need to get some tackles for loss very consistently. I'd say, you know, close to a, a quarter of their uh, total snaps need to be either a sack or some sort of tackle for loss. Um, if we can do that, then that's going to put them behind the chains and make them extremely one-dimensional, and that's when they get in trouble. And really, uh, they would have to lean on their tight end to kind of bail them out. Yeah, and we've already talked about it. They're giving up close to about 14 tackles behind the line. And, Brian, you're saying about a quarter. I mean, so you're saying we've got to even go above their average. It probably hits 15, 15 to 18. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which which would be a lot, which would really – which would really set the game up for Waller and Strong and Armani to attack because, you know, you get a sack and it's third and 15, either either they're going to run a draw and say, well, your offense isn't going to do anything. We'll just punt it away. And the last piece, Brian, I think me and you talked about, and it's what our defense have been good at, yards don't matter, right? Yeah. Points matter. I don't care. Points matter. You, you've been saying it. I don't care if you take it at the 15 and you drive it to the 30. You and yourself, you just got 55 yards. But that is going to be one long field goal that goal that you're – knowing Brian Kelly, he's not going to take the risk. He'll punt deep. So drive stoppers. When they cross that midfield, you mentioned to me, you said they cross midfield, that's where they have to stop. And and uh, Hamilton has done a good job uh, of mixing in some some blitzes or some different coverages that really throw teams off once they cross the fifty this year. Yes, he has. And so and so hopefully he keeps that up where it it gets us off the field, forces a, a field goal, um, you know, whatever it may be, and hopefully even you know force a turnover or a sack fumble or something like that interception uh, that that gets us the ball back. Um, and, and they've done a good job with that this year, and hopefully they keep that up against Notre Dame because they did turn the ball over against Cincinnati, so they are not a, a clean and perfect team with the football. Um, so there's going to be some opportunities for the defense to get the ball back on those uh, on those plays. Absolutely. Well, Brian, we've talked about them. We've talked about us. It's time to give our predictions here, Brian, and uh, I'll let you lead the way this week, man. You know, I, I feel good about this game in a lot of ways, but I'm I'm just concerned about the offense, and I'm so concerned. I think that it's it's just going to be too much. I think it's going to be 23-14. I think we're going to struggle to uh, really consistently run the football, and I think that's going to be our undoing. Um, 
and ultimately probably have have a turnover that really kind of kind of puts the puts the knife in our back to close it out there. But I think it's a close game for for three quarters, and then they kind of uh, we we finally make that mistake that really gets them the uh, the, the double digit advantage there at the end. Yeah, I, I'm not far behind you. I, I, I put it close. I, I I do put Notre Dame winning this game 21-17. And for me, it's just the the offensive eyes I test. It's we're we're failing it in every way, and the statistics prove it. And you can say, well, we're just missing one or two passes. One or two passes don't make you almost, you know, one of basically the quarter worst teams in the country offensively. They don't. If you want to argue that point that, oh, it's just a pass here, just one run lane if he cut this way, no, no. If you were 50th, yes. One or two passes put you in the top 25. One or two passes doesn't bring you from being terrible to being a really good offense. It just doesn't. And I think what I think it's going to be, Brian, is I, I think our defense are going to probably play their asses off. I think that crowd's going to be electric. I don't. I think they're going to have a tough time hearing. They're going to probably have some false start penalties. But I think what's probably going to happen is where one time, you know, I think defense is going to put us in good positions. And their defense is going to put them in some good positions. And they're going to capitalize just a little more. And, you know, we've been going through this every time when one of us or both of us choose a loss, we're going to say how we win. And, Brian, kick it off with what you got the first the first big thing. Yeah, and I already said it when we were talking about the defense, but the defense has to force field goals instead of touchdowns. If they have good drives, they need to end in three points, not touchdowns. All right, so key one there, guys, field goals. And obviously in Brian's scenario, you've got them getting down there five times, kicking three field goals. You say you need less you need less than three, you need more than three. You need yeah. four to five for us to win. And I'm I, I'm similar. I've got them scoring three touchdowns. So if you're telling me they're we hold them to a couple field goals, yeah, we can win this game. Um this next thing we brought up here was, and Brian has already said it, we have to establish the run early and then mix in the passing attack as we get into the game. And it's true. And, and, are, we, and, is, and are we thinking, well, run and then start taking shots? Start No. Start peppering easy passes. Start peppering smart passes. Essentially, what I hope we don't do, Brian, is I, I really hope we – Run. I hope we start outside zone. I hope we start outside in running the ball. Yeah. I hope this is not Wake Forest last year, where we literally ran at their best player the whole game, <laughs> and we know that the best part of this defense is here. So I hope that doesn't happen. But if we can get it going and just attack the edges to meet earlier, to where the linebackers are maybe hesitating a few seconds. Tenth of a second in the middle of the field, where later in the game, when you run a jet motion, then you can come back with that inside zone. And because they took that awkward step, one of the linemen can get up there and drive them out the way. Yeah. What What about some actual true read option? <laughs> I don't know. Am I twitching here? Yeah. Read options. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, again, it, it's attacking the outside, right? Yep. And then it's making them have to make decisions and eventually 
they make the wrong decisions, you are able to go up on that inside zone. Something like yeah, that. We, hey, Brian, we talked about, about them. Yeah, we talked about them occasionally losing leverage in the running game on the edge. Um, that, yeah. That's what we got to take advantage of early so we can kind of loosen them up so we can run inside. Uh, but the other thing we need to do, you know, back to the defense, we got to force them to drive the field long, and we've done a good job with that, right? So yes, far have. this year, we've done a good job with controlling field position and making them drive the field. Um, and what that does is the more plays they have to run to move the ball down the field, the more prone they are to make a mistake at some point. Uh, whether that is, you know, on the offensive line where they give up a key sack on third down or whether that's making turnovers or, you know, giving up a fumble, whatever it may be, the further you make a team have to go, the more apt they are to do something to screw up that drive. Very true. Last piece, we've done this very well this year. It's why we're three and one. And I know if you if you, if you follow Twitter or social media or listen – you would swear some people, the way they react, we were an 0-14. We're 3-1. and We're in a division race for the ACC. And the reason we've been able to do that is offensive and special teams have played super clean. Yep. Minimal turnovers. We have to keep that here. If we, turn the ball, if we turn the ball over in any sort of capacity, driving in for a score, deep in the zone like we did against Richmond, or in the middle of the field, if we do that, we're giving them the extra opportunities. We have to get those opportunities, as Brian just said a few seconds ago. So, yeah, we're going to need them to generate points on our end. We can't give them something back to to offset that. Now, if we do all this, do I think like we blow the doors off of them, win by two, three touchdowns? No. I think it's just a flip script of probably what we're thinking of our scores. Yeah. Instead of Notre Dame, we thank Virginia Tech because we did everything perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like a, a three to nine point victory the other way if we can put all these things together. Um, and, you know, a lot of that's going to depend on if, if we put those things together and then we also force like a pick six or, or a special teams touchdown or something like that. Um, that's something that could really kind of put it put it at the higher end there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we, we are picking against the Hokies this week, but we are still positive that there's a chance out there. Um, <laughs> To pull 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 the win, we just got to we got to put a lot of pieces together this week, guys, and we got to see improvement from a certain part of the team. All right, yep. Brian, let's hit over to Saturday pickums. Your boys went five hundred last week. Very rough week, you know. Spelled all out. Brian's still twenty seven and twenty five, two games above. I'm right at twenty six and twenty six. Um, here's the funny part: we literally line up and just say, "Let's pick these games." We aren't going through games saying like, you know, I don't like that game. If I was actually <laughs> making a bet, I wouldn't dare bet on that game. But because we want to talk about the ACC teams and some of the bigger matchups, that's why we're pulling these on here. Maybe next year, Brian, will have this like, I am, I'm doing this on this game, but this is my, I'm not counting it. It's going to be our take back game. Well, the game we're leading off with, you know, we're not stacking the deck because nope. you know if I had any fucking say in this, I would not be picking this game. But you have to, Brian. And guess what? <laughs> Since you are leading, you get the honors. Man, Georgia this is Tech. this is a coin flip. So, like, I mean, Duke is weird. Georgia Tech is weird. bipolar. Um, 
I don't know Georgia what Tech's to expect from them. Georgia Tech's lean three and a half. Georgia Tech's yeah. three and a half. So you got a little bit of leeway there. I'm going to take Georgia Tech and hope I don't have to curse them next week because I think they're they're they've improved just enough, and I think Gunner's just not quite going to be able to get it done against them. Um, so yeah, I'll take uh, I'll take GT here. Um, I'm I'm actually going to go with you right there. Um, Georgia Tech did not have a good game last week. If I can remember right. Yeah, they, they, it's ebb and flow. It's ebb and flow. They're ebb and flow. So this is their good week. I think I'm right on. I got to check that out. My brain's. Yeah, they had the bad week because they got blown out by Pitt. Georgia Tech rebounds to uh, win this week. Duke, you know, got blown out by North Carolina. I think the Duke trajectory is there. Georgia Tech lay the three and a half. Georgia Tech wins by 10 in a probably a fun game to watch. All right, Brian, we'll go with the next one here. UVA, Louisville. Um, Louisville laying two and a half there at home. Essentially, Louisville's getting the home flavor. And I'm going to go with Louisville. Um, With Louisville, at least parts of this season, we've seen their offense click and score. They're going against UVA, who, as bad as Miami looked, Miami still almost got to 30 and almost beat the, as bad. I mean, Miami looked wretched. Like, Miami yeah. had no business in that game, and UVA let them potentially have the chance to win the game. Louisville has looked more up than down, but I think Louisville will have enough of a defense to where there's probably going to be about eight possessions apiece in this game. I think Louisville's going to score on six to seven because UVA's offense, defense is just horrible where yep. UVA is going to score on five. So something like 42-35, 49-35. But in that case, give me Louisville, and uh, I'll lay the points to UVA. I'm going to take that as well. Give me Louisville, and it's very much a similar similar story there. Um, I think Louisville is settling in and trending in the right direction on both sides of the ball, particularly on their offensive side. Yeah. Um, and I think they're going to do enough. Um, to score against that awful, awful UVA defense. Um, that that offense for UVA is going to have to be damn near perfect in order to pull out the W. That's very, very true. All right, Brian. S- surprising game of two pretty solid teams: Syracuse and Wake Forest. Lake Wake Forest laying the six and a half. What say you on this one? Uh, I'm going to go with Wake here. Um, I think they're going to be able to do enough to. To, to win that one by about 10 points. Um, I think Hughes is a much better than previously advertised team. Their running game and defense are respectable, uh, but I just don't think they have enough in the tank um, to go four quarters with Wake and, and keep it that close. I'm with you on that one all the way. I think I think Hughes came back to earth last week against FSU and especially the way FSU had looked. They got into a fight with them and lost. I think you can see that downward spiral um, continue, um, especially when the one of their better receivers goes in the portal and winds up, oh, interest from Texas A&M. Hmm. After hearing the Gerard story on Don the other week, I wonder what happened, why he went in the portal. And, again, portal's going to be good, but, man, it's going to be some dirty crap in the portal over the next few years. Yep. All right, Brian, next one. FSU versus UNC. I had to double check this number, and I'm going to double check <laughs> again just to make sure I'm looking right. 
FSU is the underdog. Not surprising. No. North Carolina is laying 17 and a half points. I I don't – FSU has looked like a dumpster fire. They looked much better last week. I can't lay 17 and a half the way Carolina's has been up and down and has played. They they have also been very bipolar. They just their 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 highs have been higher than Georgia Tech and their lows haven't quite been as low as Georgia Tech. True. Um but yeah, they they've definitely been kind of up and down as well. But you you pretty much have to say in this case FSU has one of its worst days while UNC has one of its best if they're going to yeah cover that 17 and a half. So I'm going to go FSU here. Yeah. We're, we're, we're locking again together here. We are locking up across the board here so far. Um, All right. That's okay though. All right. I got a smelly line for you for Friday night on the West coast. Stanford coming off the upset of number three, Oregon goes to Arizona state. Arizona state has looked good and bad at times. They are ranked currently. They are laying 12 points to Stanford. I don't get that. Um, it, I, I mean, I would say this should be like a six and a half, maybe seven and a half line, yeah. not 12. Um, give me Stanford just because that that's, that's a weird, that just, uh, maybe Vegas knows something. I don't know. <laughs> well, they've known go, they've known before, <laughs> and, and I'm and, and and that's why I'm going to just go against you because we need to break the monotony of going on the same thing. And I'm wondering if it's whole thing of did Stanford just is the thought did Stanford play their best game against a really good team, and now they have another solid, another very good team in front of them. Can they get up again? And you know, taking a look, I believe this one. You know, it's at Arizona State, the line. Wow. Well, we locked these in earlier, so we're going to just stay at the 12. The line actually went up a, a, a point since earlier today when we put these down, Brian. So um, I'm going to take Arizona State. And, okay. Uh, I think hangover and short week on the road, uh, probably going to be a good environment there in Tempe. We already mentioned this game once, Brian, and Red River Shootout. It's not the Red River Rivalry. It's the Red River Shootout at State Fair of Texas. Texas and Oklahoma. Oklahoma lane three and a half, very short line. Um, and, you know, the question you have to ask yourself is, when is Oklahoma going to get right? When is it going to click? You know, Rattler's a good quarterback. You know, they have some talented, you know, you know, playmakers all over the field. When is the offensive line going to get right? And I think in this case, it's going to be in a rivalry game. I think it's going to be how many times do you see it where a team has been playing other teams? They look mediocre. They look blah. And then all of a sudden, the team you hate pops across the street. And everybody gets focused that week. So I'm going to take Oklahoma, lay the three and a half. I'll go against you here. Um, okay. No, I'm not saying Texas is back. We don't say that on this program. Um, <laughs> if we do it sarcastically. <laughs> yeah. 
but I think Oklahoma just hasn't found it hasn't found the offensive click that they really need. And I feel like Texas does a good job of kind of keeping them a little bit off balance uh, on defense. So I think overall ends, ends up probably going to take Texas out right here, but I think Texas pulls, pulls it off here. All right. So upset big 12 cannibalizes itself even more. Brian takes Texas. I'm going to take Oklahoma. All right, we, we've got some Virginia Tech ties to the next game, Brian. Yes, we do. South Carolina and the Fighting Shane Beamers go play Tennessee and potentially Hendon Hooker. I know he got knocked out of the Florida game, um, but, you know, it's college football. It seems like these guys come back quicker than other things. Yeah. Um, and he did play last week against Missouri, so and he played and had a great game. So, um, bye week is completely thrown up where we are in my head. Tennessee, yeah, <laughs> like it's messed up my mind because you know we didn't come in here. What games happened last week? Oh yeah, they happened two weeks ago. Um, Tennessee's laying ten and a half, and Tennessee for this game is at home. It's a high noon kick, Brian. Ten and a half okay. is the line. What you got? Um, give me the fighting hookers over the fighting Shane Beamers. The fighting hookers over the cocks. Yeah, fighting hookers over the cocks. I'm with hookers you, are taking hookers are taking down the cocks. <laughs> hey, get a sound machine on the board here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. Um, Tennessee's played significantly better. Um, looked solid against Florida for a while there. Um. And, and don't get me wrong, Shane has started out the gate fine, three and two, you know, wins over, well, Eastern Illinois, East Carolina, and Troy, and losses to Georgia and Kentucky, but the Kentucky game was competitive. Um, but I think in this scenario, uh, it's going to be every game where, unless they play perfect, they're likely – they're they're not they're going to lose by two touchdowns or more, so I, I'll take Tennessee on this one, Brian. All right, buddy. Uh, the night game on ABC this week: Battle of Traditional Powers, Nebraska and Michigan. Michigan laying three and a half, and this is going to be at Nebraska. Yep. And this is the one I've mulled over more than anything because Nebraska has looked better since that absolutely awful showing at the beginning of the season against Illinois, the one where literally you probably thought they were going to fire Scott Frost the Monday morning after that happened. Um, you know, yeah, there, 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 are a, there are like a handful of coaches that were immediately on the hot seat that have since um, that's cooled off a little bit. Yeah. And they're three and three and you can say, well, that's still a terrible record, but the losses were, Seven points to Oklahoma and three points to a very good Michigan State team um, who's undefeated right now. Blew the doors off Northwestern last week. But the way Harbaugh has his guys playing, it reminds me of 2011. And as a Niners fan, that was close to my heart. So I think Harbaugh goes down to Nebraska. I think they get a win by more than three and a half points. And I think last week against Wisconsin proved that 
Jimmy would go and continue to score on people. And, you know, because you take a look at that game last week, you know, 38-17 at Wisconsin. And, you know, they scored 25 points in the second half when, you know, that that's just something they hadn't done. What about you? Yeah. I, I'm taking uh, the Wolverines as well. Um, I think this is a – this feels like a different Michigan team than the one we've kind of seen of late. Um, I think that lack of preseason expectations has done wonders uh, for their confidence. Uh, They look like they're playing uh, very confidently in that offense um, and the defense is playing as good as they played in the Harbaugh era um, there at Michigan. So I'll take the Wolverines here. All right. Got you down here. All right, Brian, let's take a look next at the Deep South's oldest rivalry. Auburn and Georgia. Georgia laying 14 and a half points. Auburn coming off that kind of the Bo Nix mirage, whatever he did late in that game to LSU. And Georgia just absolutely stomping a mud hole in Arkansas in the first quarter. What do you think on this one? This is the one that I've been struggling with because it's one of those where the line is fine, but you just have a a huge problem laying more than two touchdowns in this type of game, right? Um, I think Uga is definitely capable of of putting that type of victory against them up there, but if I got to make a pick, I think that it's going to be a little bit closer than that, probably seven to ten point game so give me auburn and i don't feel good about it but i'll I'll, that's what i'll go with (laughs) all right brian's going auburn um even with the question marks around jt daniels um the way that they're doing everything else at georgia i i can't go against them right now it's like alabama alabama's laying like 20 against AM this week. If that was on our board, I would I would lay the points. I'm gonna lay the points because I think Georgia's gonna win this game by 20 plus. I think this game's gonna be like 42 20, 42 17. Um and Bo Nix, you that you're not gonna be able to do pull Houdini this week. You try to pull a Houdini this week, you might not get out of straight jacket. <clears throat> All right, Brian, the big one Saturday afternoon, we will get to enjoy this game before the host. Yeah. Before having any, you know, misery beers. Penn State, Iowa. I'm going to check this line one more time, see if anything's changed. Nope, still at two. Iowa getting the home two at Kinnick. We know the stuff with Kinnick. Teams who have been big ranked have went in there before, but Iowa this time is also big ranked. Um, and you picked the last one first, so I got to pick this one. And I'm going to go Iowa. I think Iowa might not have as many athletes at Penn State, but they are essentially doing what they do um, on both sides of the ball. And right now, I don't think Penn State have a, has enough – they don't have enough athletes to overcome that. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go Penn State here, um, and I don't like it, but – Okay. I think I think I think Penn State 
is playing as consistent football as we've seen them play in a while. And I think they see some vulnerabilities in other areas of the conference this year, and they feel like if they can get past this hump, they've got a pretty good uh, path um, to potentially the college football playoff. Uh, so give me Penn State here. All right. Jotting Brian down for Penn State on that. He will get two points. Anything breaking since we've uh, been doing this for about an hour and a half now, Brian? No, our Urban Meyer has not groped any uh, other co-eds in the time that we've been on air. That we know of. That we know of. That we know of. I'm just looking through here. Daddy deserved a night out. Looking at the baseball game, 1-1 one, one, bottom, 7th. Scherzer and Wainwright are both out, so they have finished this off. And, uh, well, buddy, let's just do it. Let's wrap it. It's going to take care of this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website at BoundaryCornerBT.com to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube account or your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us in, play us out, catch him on Spotify and Apple's music. And as always, thank you for listening, and let's go. Hokies!